Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. So, tomorrow for everyone is Halloween Day. Yes, it is. On a fucking Wednesday. Yes, but we're going to be celebrating Halloween early since our um, episode comes out the day before. Yes. Interesting. We never planned it this way, but for some reason in 2018, ours pretty successfully lines up with a lot of holidays. It does. I think Christmas this year is on Tuesday. Uh, July 4th was on a Tuesday. Yep. Um, Halloween's almost on a Tuesday. Like, interesting. Interesting, interesting. So, but but I'm Tyler and I'm Brittany and this is Blood and Wine, Blood and Wine, episode 25, which I feel like is a big milestone. It is. And I like that. Fourth of a hundred. Yes, it is. Wow. That's, uh, that's weird. I know. But I like that 25 landed on like a special episode. I know it. And we didn't plan it though. We don't plan these things. Fate just has our back. (laughs) Fate has our back and we, we got this. True. Also, we... Our first episode came out 25 weeks ago. Yes. Next week, it'll be exactly half a year. It'll be exactly six months next week that we've been doing this. Oh, my God. I know. So, happy almost a half anniversary. Yeah. So. Hey, I love it. And thank you all for listening and uh, all your support. And one exciting thing that we have for you guys is we yes. are now on Spotify. Finally. Yes. So, don't know... If y'all knew this, but getting on Spotify is actually one of the more difficult it is. ones. It um, is. They don't directly support SoundCloud, which is our main host. That's which where... makes sense, to be honest. I guess, SoundCloud yeah. has a lot of music that you can listen to. It's a little bit different than Spotify, but that is true. it's so another music platform. So yeah, go ahead and check us out on Spotify. Give us a follow there. Yes. Um, if you listen in Apple iTunes, um, Apple make, Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. Subscribe to us. Uh, we're on, follow us on SoundCloud if you listen to us there. Honestly, we're on every major podcast platform. Yes. So just look for us and give us a follow or a subscribe, whichever, whichever yeah. yours does. Didn't you mention you had a current news story you wanted to share? Yes. Okay. So... It today when we're recording it, this is October nineteenth. Yes. Um. So this is we're celebrating right, Halloween a bit early. A little early, whatever. Uh. So this is current right now, but I saw it on the news, saw it on CNN. Yeah. And it's just fascinating. I'm sure by the time this and episode horrifying. is yeah, I'm sure by the time this episode is live, there'll be more, more information yeah. because right now there's not a lot. But the uh, Jamie Kloss kidnapping. Mm-hmm. So she's a 13-year-old girl in Wisconsin. Her parents were murdered. They were shot to death in their oh, home. Gosh. And she was there. And she no. was abducted from the home. And there was actually, during the attack, someone at the house called 911 and the dispatcher was saying they could hear screaming and fighting in a struggle. I heard something happening. Yeah. And then the line went dead. God. Then, I know. And then when the um the dispatchers tried calling back, like no one answered. And that's when they went to the house and found uh her parents murdered and her disappeared. And her gone. Well, and that's just absolutely horrifying. And I feel like we've done cases similar to this but 
hearing about it happening right now. Yeah. Like, when you brought this up to me earlier, I hadn't heard of it. I don't know how I missed that CNN alert because mm. I have those. But I just... God, I, I really, really hope they find her I and know. she's alive. I hope she's alive and safe. I don't... Yeah. Yeah. Because... I don't want to think otherwise. I mean, she's so sweet. You said she's 13. We looked at a picture yeah. of her. She's adorable. She's, she's a little 13-year-old girl. Little 13-year-old girl. Like... Um, yeah, and she's like top of the FBI like kidnapping list like that they're looking for her so yeah hopefully she's found soon hopefully before this episode goes live yeah she's found well and if not if y'all are in that area and might know something or see you know yeah if you think you know something report it for real though because even if you think like oh well I don't want to like you know do have a tip that doesn't go anywhere because I'm not sure what I saw even the littlest bit of information can help corroborate other evidence. It yeah. Can, it can be a lot bigger than you think it is. It's true. And just remember, like, you don't know everything that the police already know. And mm-hmm. your one little tidbit could be the piece they need to find, you know, what a clue means or something. Yeah. And Or as you've listened to our podcast a ton, you you know that sometimes that small little detail is what solves a case or what helps mm-hmm. find something. So... Just wanted to put it out there. If you happen to be in the area, if you happen to know anything and haven't said something, go ahead and go ahead and say something. Give yes. give the local police a call. It's this whole situation is just horrifying. It is it's absolutely horrifying. Uh, but I guess let's let's just jump into the topic because I'm shifting gears just a bit, just a lot actually. Yeah. But I want to get into the topic because it's a really special one. It's yes. our Halloween special, and it's actually a Patreon picks special as yes. well. Yes. So Don is one of our Cabernet Seven Young convicts. Mm-hmm. Hey Don. And hey Don, what up? But she uh, wanted to do a Halloween special. Yes. And so we kind of uh, had a little bit of a back and forth, different ideas of what this Halloween special should be, and we settled on haunted house murders. Yes. Which haunted house murders is perfect. Of course. And I think it's funny. Halloween. I think any of our episodes could be a Halloween episode. I mean, it's, it's a murder. It's horrifying. But just the going into the, just the real creepy aspects of true crime. Yeah. I love it. And Don, thank you so much for the idea for yes. directing this episode and for all of your support on Patreon. It means so much. And for everyone out there, if you want to be as awesome as Don is, which not going to lie, she's kind of amazing, so it'll be difficult, but um, <laughs> you could also check out our Patreon. Yes. Um, and if you join us as a Cabernet Seven Young Convict, you get to uh, pick a topic for a future episode. Yeah. We, we also dedicate send the you, episode to you. And... Yes. Dedicate the episode for you. We also send handwritten thank you cards. Yep. Which... Um, we finally yes you guys we finally got our cards in so expect those pretty soon uh by the time you listen to this they should be out in the mail and you may have already received it yes we had some issues with the printing and everything and we wanted to make sure they were perfect so there's a little bit of a delay on that end but we have them we are going to be sending them out very very shortly um, what other perks do you get? Well, one of the main ones is the murder minis. That is true. <laughs> you know. So we have Patreon-only episodes that we do every other week. Uh, those are posted on Thursday. And they're just murders that are maybe not as long of a story, uh, although some of the ones are 
long enough to be their own episode. They we are. Do it for Murder Mini anyway. Sometimes when we find them, we're like, okay, we just have to do this. It doesn't fit a topic, so but I need to do it. Exactly. And that's what it is. There's no topic for Murder Minis. It's just whichever one we want to talk about. Yeah. So um, be sure and check out our, our Patreon. Just mm-hmm. search Blood and Wine, a true crime podcast, and you should be able to find us. Yes. All right. Um, but one thing I did want to go into is haunted house murder. Oh, yes. Back to the topic. So this one was one that we went in with a very clear idea. We were like, okay, you know, the serial killer who busts up into the haunted house and just starts murdering people. Or the serial mm-hmm. killer, the killer that's in there, and the people, the passersby, just think it's part of the haunted house mm-hmm. and don't realize, nope, that's a real dead body. And I found, when trying to look for this, first off, that doesn't happen. The, or if it does, we couldn't find it. Yeah. I mean, yes, it I mean, might. never say never, but we did really have difficulty finding that. However, I did find a case that was really interesting It wasn't a murder, but it was a story about this girl who was a worker in a haunted house, Mm -hmm. and she somehow accidentally got herself tangled up, and she was hung, and it's in one of the display areas, and so she's struggling and fighting in real life, but the people walking by think it's just an act, and thankfully, one of her coworkers found her, Mm -hmm. knew that that's not what she was supposed to be doing or where she was supposed to be. And um, pulled her down. She had she had passed out at that time. Pulled her down just in the nick of time. She survived. Like she was in a coma for a little bit. Jesus. But like, and that's a different kind of horrifying haunted house that story. Well, but and things like that happen. Well, and one that I found that I've known about for a bit, and I was like, ooh, I didn't remember the details really well. But I was like, I think this one will be perfect. I think. Um, it was at a Six Flags. It was in the 80s at the Haunted House ride. Anyway, it's this haunted house and it caught fire and like a yes. bunch of teenagers died. Um, cause the whole thing, like all the decoration, everything just went up in flames. And at first, you know, people who were in it were saying, Oh, we thought the smoke was the smoke and the flames were like effects. Like, Ooh, okay. The haunted house. It's mm-hmm. on fire. And then they were like, no, we felt the heat. And then we actually smelled the smoke and saw the fire growing. And it was real. That was an accident. Didn't, wasn't a murder, but it still fucking horrifying. Yeah. Um, that these kids burned to death in this haunted house. I think. It is horrifying. I think what they found out was someone was like trying in the low light, you know, had a lighter to kind of try to see where they were going. And that <gasps> caught And they, like, dropped fire. it and caught... Oh, my yeah. God. Wait, and so was it a worker that had the lighter? Or I think it was a guest. A guest in there? Yeah, I think it was, like, a 14-year-old. Oh, my God. Going. So, I hate haunted houses. I do not like jump scares and that shit. I will say, one thing I do want to add, since we're in the Halloween season, while, you know, haunted houses are scary, whatever, you're paying... For the fear, you're paying for this experience. So don't fucking like punch the people. They're actors. Actually, like, that's they're a people, super good point to bring up. They're people doing their job. And I know, like, a lot of times, asshole teenagers and young adults will go in and, like, you know, tr- punch or, like, beat up or just be fucking assholes to the actors in these costumes. One, you literally paid for this experience. Yeah. Okay. And they're fucking just people doing their job. 
a lot of times they're like local college kids like get it doing this for credits for like if they're in like a theater major or they're just fucking kids you know down a part-time job like don't be an asshole yeah and on that have you seen those articles that have the photos of the families like they take a picture of all these people right as a jump scare happens yes so funny. Yes. I love those photos because just to see, especially some of like the big burly men, and they oftentimes <laughs> look the most terrified in the photos. Oh my god. Yes. Oh, or the people, how some people will like wrap their leg around the person <laughs> next to them and just scream and grab and hold. It's yeah. so funny. Which, like, I get it. I'm a grabber. Like, if I jump, I'll grab onto someone in front of me. And I don't even know. Because, one, I, again, don't like to. Go to haunted houses, right. but I don't. I don't even know. But I fucking love those. Um, and my so funny. My not liking jump scare even goes along with uh, like scary movies. I like horror things. Like um, I'm a big fan of American Horror Story. Yeah. Um, and that's not a jump scare. It's that's not. like a creep. There'll scare. be occasional ones, but that's not the thing. Yeah. Whereas, like, I have a bunch of coworkers who are asking me, like, "Oh, are you going to see the new?" Halloween movie with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And I'm like, no. Just watching the trailer, it's a lot of jump scares. A lot of, ooh, he's behind the door with a knife. Mama's going to see it tonight. Oh. Or uh, this weekend, I think. Well, she can let me know how it is. Yeah. But I'm like, no. I I don't want to sit in the theater and be jump scared all night. Not my idea of fun. Yeah. Anyways. I like scary movies. I don't necessarily like jump scare, but I'll watch it because... Oh, something about it. I, I like the experience of something. terrifying myself. Well, now you've talked about our topic, I'm going to talk about our wine for the episode. Which, which is, is not, not wine. a wine. Yeah. We, um... Ooh, is this our first episode that's non-wine? Other than sangria, Sangria's which had wine. wine. So, yes, this is our first non-wine mm. episode. This time, we made black magic margaritas. Mm. So, I know you've already heard some ice clinking because mm-hmm. I was taking sips earlier. Uh, I've already been drinking wine. Mm-hmm. But these are really easy to make, and they're really fun for Halloween. And They're really good. They're really good. They don't stain your teeth. Yeah. So, that's one thing that's important. So, literally all it is to make one, just get a cup of ice... You can use some black sanding sugar around the rim or just regular salt or nothing. We didn't do anything no, on these we, this yeah, time No, we didn't around. do a sugar rim or anything. So these are pretty strong. So yes. be, uh, know that in advance. These are pretty simple to make. Um, you just get a cup of ice, two ounces of a silver tequila, about a shot and a half, um, two or ounces. Or more if you like. Or more if you like. One ounce of triple sec, so almost a full shot glass. Mm-hmm. Half a cup of lime juice, and then you'll mix red, blue, and green food coloring, and it's just a few drops of each. Yeah. Start it up. You've got your black magic margarita. Add in some lime slices for garnish if you want, but we used El Himidor, uh silver tequila, which is, I, I love El oh, Himidor. That's it, my favorite tequila. It's an affordable one. How much was that what? bottle? It was $22, $23, something yeah, like that, and, which is not cheap. It's not but, cheap, but it's a it's a really good one. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we're not going Patron. We're not those people. Although, I feel like if you're drinking Patron, you're not... You're just drinking tequila. You're not making a margarita. Although, I guess those, yeah, like, top-shelf margarita, margaritas. Yeah. 
Well, I was talking with one of my friends, and she's Hispanic, and she was telling me that uh, Patron, like, it's fine, it's it's good tequila, but it's like white people tequila. Like, it's, really? If you if you want a nice tequila that's actually nice, like you're never gonna go for Patron. What? Which makes what'd she recommend? She, I recommended something I had never heard of. Oh, that, okay. She also used to work at a tequila bar. That's so cool. It makes sense. That's but, cool. Um, it, I kind of agree because, like, when it comes to vodka, which vodka is my liquor of choice, mm-hmm. um, Grey Goose is like what's known as the nice stuff. I mean, Grey Goose is fine, but it's more expensive than it should be. You can get much better. Uh, my favorite yeah. vodka, actually, just straight, is Reka. It's an Icelandic vodka. Oh. It's like 20 or 30 bucks for a bottle. That's not bad. No, and it's real good. Um, and then, of course, any of the flavored ones, Deep Eddy Distillery here in Austin. Yes. So, so good. good. Guys, there, if you get their lemon vodka and drink it with um, ginger beer... It's phenomenal. See, my go-to drink at any bar in Austin is Deep Eddy grapefruit and soda water with lime. Oh, yeah. And it's a good one. Apparently, it's an Austin gay water. Because, if you didn't know this, a gay water is a a vodka soda with just a splash of crayon. Yeah. Because, you know, you get a little bit of flavor. But an Austin gay water is Deep Eddy grapefruit and soda. Anyways. But, yes. So... No wine this episode. Instead, Black Magic Margaritas. Margaritas, so... (laughs) They're really good. They're real good, they're strong, and they're black, and I like it. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how margaritas treat us during the episode. Yes, because, um, yeah, these are strong. I'm going to jump into my case now. Yes, tell me how you addressed this haunted house. So, I um, I went very literal. Since we couldn't really find a haunted house murder, yeah, I went more for a murder haunted house or a real haunted house. Okay, <laughs> and I chose the Amityville house. Ooh, good choice. The sources I used were Wikipedia, biography, all that's interesting, and AmityvilleMurders.com. Oh, it has its own website. It has its own website. There you go. Um, so, just in case y'all don't know, which I didn't know a ton of details about this case, I knew the Vic. There's like a movie made, right? Yeah. So, it, okay. originally, there was a book. Um, oh. And that's what this case is famous for. The book and then the movie franchise that was based on the book. Yeah. That are known as like the Amityville Horror movies and yeah. books and stuff. So the Amityville... Which, surprisingly, I don't know anything about this story. Like, I've heard of it because I feel mm-hmm. like everyone's heard of Amityville Horror, but yeah. I don't know the story. I don't know where it originates. I don't know the original crime. Same. I Like, I, I knew vague things about it, but I've never seen the movies or read the books or anything, so I didn't really know. But the Amityville Horror is based on the true story of George and Kathy Lutz and their three children who moved into a house in Amityville, New York, in December of 1975. After 28 days... Yeah. So after 28 days of living in this house, the Lutzes left the house, claiming to have been terrorized by paranormal phenomena uh, while living there. So there were ghosts and shit, and they were like, nope, we're noping the fuck out. Bye. Um, Nope. So the history of this house... And, you know, the horrors that went on to inspire this possible paranormal nature 
is what my case is actually about. Got it. Okay. Okay. And full disclosure, y'all, I do not believe in ghosts. So the paranormal stuff, I'm like, okay. Well, you also but the didn't actual, experience it. That is true. I didn't. But the actual shit that went down is so much worse than any fucking ghost story. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. So Amityville is about 30 miles outside of New York City. It's on Long Island and it's just a pretty wealthy little, I guess, suburb. 30 miles, it's a bit far, but it's a little suburb, I guess. Yeah, Long Island has a lot of little suburbs like that. Yeah, it does. I spent a lot of time on Long Island. I have, I guess, been because Brooklyn is technically on Long Island, but... Technically, yes, but it's not referred to as that. Yeah. I've been to the Rockaway Beach. That's... Anyway, so on November 13th of 1974, this house in Amityville was the scene of a mass murder. You said that other family was there in 75? Yeah. Okay, so so just a year uh, later. Yeah, 13 months after is when they moved in. Oh, damn. And they were actually, I believe, the first people to move in after the mass murder. Yeah, that would make sense. So, going back in time just a little bit, Ronald Joseph, who's known as Big Ronnie, uh, (laughs) DeFeo Sr., He's a long-ass name. <laughs> it's really long. <laughs> um, he was born November 16th, 1930, and he was really good-looking, very, like, suave, and was able to attract the attention of Luis Marie Briganti. Luis was born on November 3rd of 31 mm-hmm. um, to Michael and Angela Briganti, and she wanted to pursue a modeling career. She was also very pretty... And they were just this really beautiful couple. Yeah. So after pretty brief... Oh, don't you hate that? Just the couples that are just like, oh, y'all are both... fucking gorgeous. You're gorgeous. You look wonderful together. Your life seems amazing and perfect. And you're like happy. There's definitely wasn't. I I mean, I imagined. I imagined. So they had a really brief courtship. Big Ronnie and Luis. Big uh, Ronnie. I can't get over that. Uh, Yeah, I know. Was, Was he tall? Yeah, I think so but i don't think he was like seven maybe he had four. a big personality uh, who knows um so Luis's parents hated big ronnie like they did not approve of him at all mm-hmm. and because Luis married him her parents cut all ties with the newlyweds until september 26th of 1951 when Ronald Joseph DeFeo Jr., who was nicknamed Butch, was born. Oh, my God. Big Ronnie and Butch? Big Ronnie and his son, Butch. This is just... Okay. It's it's the 50s. Just let it happen. I guess there were a lot of Butches and Big Don, Big Ronnie, (sighs) Big Blake. I don't know. Big Blake? (laughs) BB. For sure. That's not what BB stands for. Don't look it up, kids. So, growing up, Butch DeFeo had it really hard. He was the firstborn and a boy, and so his dad expected more from him. Of course. I mean, this is the 50s, yeah. Yeah. And Big Ronnie was not afraid to discipline him in just really fucking cruel ways. Oh, shit. One minute, he would hug his son, and the next minute, he'd throw him across the room. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's an abusive fuck. Ugh. So, as a child, DeFeo was extremely overweight, and he would remain so until later in his teenage years when he started using amphetamines. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, get skinny when you use meth. Yeah. Or, I guess, 
I don't know if meth was around in the 50s, but basically meth. Yeah. Um, so his school life was awful because of his weight problem. He got bullied a bunch. Bigger kids would call him names like The Blob, Bucky Beaver, and Pork Chop. Oh my god. Kids yeah. are so mean. Kids are fucking like, mean. they really, really are. They're... Oh my god. god. I got a lot of, like, pizza face and stuff in high school. Or not high school, in, like, middle school and stuff. That a lot of... Big T. A lot of people call me that. Mm. Are you serious? Oh god, yeah. You were a big kid. I was pretty chunky. We was, all had our chunky, chunky stages. Like, I had my chunky stage in yeah. middle school. And maybe yeah. right now. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah. But no, kids are fucking mean. Yes. So, DeFeo was not an only child for too, too long. On July 29th of 1956, his mom gave birth to a daughter, Dawn. A few years after that, in August of 61, she gave birth to another daughter, Allison. Then again, September 4th of 62, so literally one year after. Yeah. uh, Allison, so she's popping them out at this point. She gave birth to Mart, and then her final kid, October of 1965, their third son, John, was born. So... Five kids. They had five kids in all the span of... Or ten years. Uh, Fourteen years. Yeah, because uh, Butch was born in 51, and then Matthew's born in 65. But 51, they took a break till 56, and then 61, 62, 65, they... Five kids is a lot. Yeah, five is a lot. So, by the time John was born, the family had moved from their Brooklyn apartment to the affluent Long Island community of Amityville. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were very... Con- definitely way too many people in a Brooklyn apartment. I, that is true. <laughs> so, a lot of people were really confused about how Big Ronnie could afford this huge home in this really nice uh, town on a car dealer services manager's salary. Probably drugs. Actually, it was not. Oh. It was his father-in-law. Oh, that he had a lot of money? Yeah, his father-in-law was fucking loaded. So Luis's dad, who hates him, but I guess now is more okay with Well, because there's the kids. There's the grandkids. And then Grandpa loved the grandkids. Like, that that much is clear. Grandpa's uh, given given Big Ronnie a lot of money. Now we're up to... The day. November 13th. On November 13th of 1974, Butch DeFeo decided to leave work at noon because he was bored. Uh, He worked for his dad's company and pretty pattern. He is uh, like 23, 24, something like that. So he pieced out of work at noon. He's done. He's like, I'm bored. Um, So he worked with his dad? He worked for his dad's company. Yeah. Yeah. He met some friends at a bar. And he called his house a few times, and no one answered. And he would complain about it to anyone who would listen. Oh, well, no one's answering at home. Which is a weird thing to complain about, but okay. Yeah. Um, eventually, he left the bar. And the next time anyone saw him, the entire town of Amityville would be changed forever. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. This is where a commercial break would be if there was one. That yeah. was not. We never There's just cheers. a tequila break. Oh, we didn't. I guess we should. Better yeah. late than never. I guess, yeah, more cheers. cheers. So around 6.30 p.m. on that same day. Yeah. And he's still at the bar or he's coming back? He or... had left the bar. Okay. He had left the bar a few hours before. But he comes back. He enters Henry's Bar in Amityville. 
and he screams, you've got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. So DeFeo and a small group of people at the bar yeah. went to his house on 112 Ocean Avenue, which was about a block away from the bar. Yeah. So as the group entered the house and reached the second floor, they were overwhelmed with the stench of death. <gasps> Doesn't that mean they've been there for a while? Usually. Okay. That's, uh, that's what it means to me. So before them laid Big Ronnie and Luis. A hole was in the center of Big Ronnie's bare back. Dried blood had trickled out of the wound and disappeared beneath his boxers. Oh my god. Luis, however, her wounds were not as clear because she was, like, under an orange blanket. Yeah. Because they're both fucking in bed. Oh, they're in bed. Yeah. So in the room across the hall... The bodies of the two young boys, who were face down in the bed, just like their parents, were found. On the bed to the left was the body of John, who was nine. No. And the group could not really pinpoint where the bullet hole in his back was, since his Nick's sweatshirt he was wearing was just covered in blood. Oh my god. In the other bed uh, was Mark, who was 12. Um... But at, on him, they could very easily make out the wound, the murder wound. Um, it was a single bullet hole in the center of his back. Kid. Both of his sisters, 18-year-old Dawn and 13-year-old Allison, were also found dead with bull, bullet holes in both of them. So literally everyone. Literally everyone. All six of them. Oh parents God. and four kids. Butch is the only one who survived. Yeah. So all of the victims had been shot with a thirty-five caliber rifle um, around 3 o'clock in the morning that day. So like 16 hours before yeah. they were found. The parents had both been shot twice and the children had all been killed with single shots. And physical evidence suggested that Luis and her daughter Allison were both awake at the time of their deaths. Oh no. And according to the police... All of the victims were found laying on their stomachs in bed, which is an important detail. Okay. DeFeo was taken to local police station for his own protection. Right. I mean, someone had fucking murdered his entire family. He's going to protection. Yeah. But after an interview at the police station, there were inconsistencies and things were not looking right. So there were no signs of struggle anywhere present on the bodies or evidence that they were drugged. Well, and that's really interesting because my thought process was, okay, when a couple of them get shot, then aren't the others going to be like, oh my God, what's happening? Like, that's where my thought process is. Well, same. And that's, there's a lot of controversies around this entire everything. Yeah. Because things like that. And because there wasn't, um, apparently police can tell like how the, bullet goes in like if there was a silencer or not and there wasn't oh so everyone should have been able to hear everything yeah but doesn't look like anyone did that's so weird no neighbors heard any of the gunshots either and only like the only like sounds they reported hearing was the family dog that was barking that night so under police investigation DeFeo's alibi of being at work and then at the bar kind of started to crumble since police were like, no, the family was dead before 6 a.m. And that's when he went to work? Yeah. 
So he said it couldn't have been me. I was at work, and they were like, "Well, they weren't killed when you were at work." Yeah, they were already dead yeah. before you went. So then DeFeo frantically started changing his story, and he changed it several more times throughout the investigation. Oh, one of those. Mm-hmm. At one point, he claimed that mob hitman Louis Fellini killed his family, and he made DeFeo watch. But what? Fellini had a solid alibi that he was out of state. He's like, literally, wasn't fucking me. It wasn't um, me. I was literally not in New York. Yeah. So after that, DeFeo then confessed to police. God, um, of course. That he had murdered the family. That is fucking crazy, and I hope you're about to tell me why. You're about to be frustrated then. So DeFeo told detectives that once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. He admitted that he had then taken a bath and redressed, and he While detailed. Other bodies were dead there. Yeah. And he detailed where he discarded some evidence such as blood-soaked clothes and the rifle and cartridges before he went to work as usual. God. How horrifying must it be? Because remember, that day he left work at noon and went to the bar, hung out with friends. How horrifying do you think it is for his friends that they're now realizing he had already murdered them that morning and he's acted normal. And then he came and hung out with all them like nothing fucking happened. I need another drink. I don't know how people do that because this is not obviously the first time we've heard of someone who murders someone or multiple people and then just goes about their day as if nothing happened. Yeah. So DeFeo's trial began on October 14th of 1975. He and his defense lawyer mounted a defense of insanity with DeFeo claiming that he killed his family in self-defense because he heard their voices plotting against him. The insanity plea was supported by a defense psychiatrist. However, the the psychiatrist for the prosecution maintained that although DeFeo was an abuser of heroin and LSD, oh. he had antisocial personality disorder and was fully aware of his actions at the time. So he was not insane. Yeah. So after a lengthy trial that concluded right before Thanksgiving, Butch DeFeo was found guilty of killing his father, mother, two brothers, and two sisters. Jeez. And on December 4th of 1975, Justice Thomas Stark said that the crimes were the most heinous and abhorrent and sentenced him to six concurrent sentences of 25 to life. So since his conviction, DeFeo has given several just very varying accounts of how the killings were carried out. Okay. Well, I mean, he's already given multiple stories of what happened, so I'm not surprised he has more stories of what actually happened. Yeah. So in a 1986 interview with Newsday, he claimed that his sister Dawn killed their father, and then their distraught mother killed all of his siblings before he killed his mother. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. He stated that he took the blame because he was afraid to say anything negative about his mother to her dad and his father's uncle out of fear that they would kill him. So his father's uncle was Pete DeFeo, who was in the Genovese crime family. And in this interview, DeFeo also asserted that he was married at the time of the murders to a woman named Geraldine with whom he was living in New Jersey with at the time. Um, The only reason he was actually in Amityville is that his mother phoned him and asked him to return home to break up a fight between Dawn and their father, which he then drove to Amityville, 
with Geraldine's brother, Richard Ramoto, uh-huh. and that Ramoto was with him at the time of the murders and could verify his story 100%. So this is like after the trial, after the conviction, after all of this, or this is yeah. the shitty saying? No, this is 10 years later. In, oh, in, I'm sorry. With news. Yeah. That's right. You said this was in the 80s. So he's spending this whole story about how like Don killed dad and then mom was struck, killed everyone. I'm actually married. My brother-in-law can like what? Oh my God. So in 1990. Oh, De- more coming. Yeah. DeFeo uh, filed a 440 motion, uh, which was a proceeding to have his conviction vacated um, in support of his motion. He asserted that Don and an unknown assailant who fled the house before he could get a good look at him killed the parents. And then Don subsequently killed their siblings. He said the only person he killed was Don and that it was an accident when they struggled over the rifle. Sure. Accidental right in point Mm -hmm. blank in the middle of the back. Yep. So again, he asserted that he was married to Geraldine and that her brother was with him at the time of the murders. And an affidavit from the brother was submitted to the court and it was asserted he could not be located to testify in person. Mm. Evidence was submitted to the court by the county district's attorney office suggesting that Richard Ramondo didn't exist. I knew it. And that Geraldine Gates was living in upstate New York, married to someone else at the time of the murders. Geraldine did not testify at his hearing because the authorities had already confronted her about the false claims, and in 92, they got a statement under oath where she admitted that the brother was totally made up and that she didn't actually marry DeFeo until 89 in Wait. anticipation and to prepare for this 440 motion. So she married him while he was in prison. Yeah. They had one of those romances where she falls in love with the freaking yeah. convicted and murderer. And she was going along with his story of like, oh, we've been married since before. That well, then that's so she easy got, for them to discredit. Right. Because they could literally just go to the courthouse and be like, your marriage license is in 1989. Yeah. Like it. No, you were married to this other dude at the time. People like to think that the system is stupid and like while they do some stupid shit you can't fake this this much no you can't you can't fake legal things with amateur practices Mm -hmm. you know so during a a meeting on november 30th of 2000 Mm -hmm. with rick osuna who's the author of the night the defeos died which is a book that goes over the amityville murders yeah Butch DeFeo claimed that, along with his sister Dawn, he and one of his friends actually committed the murders out of desperation. Why is he just always blaming this on Dawn? Poor Dawn. Yeah. Also, uh, to our Patreoner, Dawn, this was not on purpose. This was not on purpose. <laughs> I just realized just that. just happened. Um, uh, I realized it in the middle of your story, and I was like, huh. Yep. yep. There you go. I wasn't thinking about that at all. <laughs> Sorry, Dawn. Not you. Um... So he, uh, Butch had actually written a letter and in his own handwritings wrote that it was called blooded murder, period. No ghosts, no demons, just three people in which I was one. So. Three people who did the killing and he was one of them? Yep. Okay. So this is, this is what he said happened in this 2000 interview. So the DeFeo household had been in 
a frenzied state on this night. His dad was routinely abusing the family, and after that evening's tirade had settled down, DeFeo, his 18-year-old sister Dawn, and two of his friends proceeded to go and get high in the basement. Just super pissed off that her dad was preventing her from joining her boyfriend in Florida, and just worn out of all the years of the abuse, Dawn approached her older brother about killing the parents. Mm -hmm. So DeFeo initially refuses, and after a culmination of drugs, alcohol, and just desperation over the next few hours, he finally gives in to Dawn's request. So with his two friends, DeFeo and Dawn left the safety of the family's basement and headed for their parents' bedroom on the second floor. This was around 1 a.m. on November 13th of 74. Okay. When one friend waited as a lookout, the other had a Colt Python gun, and DeFeo followed him, and he was armed with the thirty-five caliber rifle. Yeah. So the parents were attacked while they laid in bed. Uh, the dad was able to struggle to his feet and attempt a counterattack. A second bullet struck him dead before he was able to reach them. Oh, God. Uh, Luis, his mother, is laying in bed moaning for help as she's bleeding to death, and a second bullet killed her. So although the original plan, he said, was for the younger children to be taken to the grandparents' house in Brooklyn, yeah. according to DeFeo, Don killed them to eliminate the children as witnesses and potential threats. Oh my gosh, why are all these people supposedly killing kids to prevent them being witnesses? For fucking real. So he claimed that he was actually not in the house at the time of the children's murders, but he was actually pursuing one of his friends who, after helping kill the parents, had fled the scene. And DeFeo wanted to get it back so that he could assist with the cleanup. And supposedly, so DeFeo's going and searching for this guy and Don's killing the siblings. Yep. Oh my god. So Don apparently entered Mark and John's room with a rifle. She ordered the boys face down and... One of the clues that they were awake at the, at the time of the murders was the position of Mark's body. Mark had actually suffered an injury in football fairly recently yeah. and had to sleep on his back. But he was found on, on his, his stomach, stomach like everyone. Uh, so that was that was a big clue that he was awake possibly during. So oh. after Don shot both of them in the back, she entered Allison's room, and standing at the doorway, she raised the rifle and took aim as Allison raised her head, looking at the gun, and was killed instantly when the bullet went in through her left cheek and exited her right ear. Oh, God. So DeFeo, upon returning to the house after, you know, I guess getting his friend back, was just enraged at the senseless murder. And he confronted Dawn in the third floor bedroom. And he confronted Dawn in her third floor bedroom. Yeah. She went back to her room. They're fighting. So they're wrestling for the gun. And he got the upper hand and slammed her against the bed, which knocked her out. Um, And as she's laying unconscious on her bed, that's when he placed the rifle against her head and fired. Oh, my God. That's, That's one of the big theories and that that whole theory is what the book not the Amityville horror book but the book that Asuna wrote in 2000 or in the early 2000s about is 
this conspiracy theory. So I will say, this one sounds very plausible. Well, it does until you actually look at the evidence. So police did find traces of unburned gunpowder on Dawn's nightgown, Mm -hmm. which a lot of the proponents say proves that she was the one shooting because there's um, unburned gunpowder on her. Yeah. Um, But at trial, the ballistics experts testified that unburned gunpowder is actually discharged through the muzzle of a weapon as well. Oh. So this indicated not that she shot it, but she was shot at point blank. Oh, God. So, also, the medical examiner found nothing to indicate she had been in the struggle, and the bullet wound was the only fresh mark on her body. So, DeFeo is currently at the Sullivan Correctional Facility in the town of Falsburg, New York. And he's still alive? He is 67 years old, and all of his appeals and requests to the parole board to date have been denied. Wow. Yeah. This is crazy because you hear about the Amityville horrors and I thought it was a lot longer ago. Like I wouldn't have imagined that he was still alive and in prison. No, he's still alive and I was expecting this to be a lot more like ghosts and paranormal and stuff. Yeah. Not just this fucked up mass murder of his family. Right. Because all I knew about the Amityville horror stuff going into this was like... You know, the movies are about ghosts, and Bella Thorne's in one of them, and just, like... I didn't even know that. Yeah, I know. I I kept waiting for the ghost to enter your story, Mm -hmm. and it didn't. Well, because I didn't really want to take the ghost angle. I want to take the how the house got haunted. Got it. Got it. And the actual true crime part of it, because just the story's fucking insane. And the ghosts come into it because... You know, people have moved into the house after this and said that, you know, paranormal shit happened. Like, all There's that shit happened. Poltergeist terrorizing them. But what happened in the house is the real Amityville horror. Interesting. That was my case. Tell me about yours. So this is kind of funny. <laughs> I took a similar angle to the theme that you did, to okay. the topic. Because, like we discussed, finding something mm-hmm. that actually happened in a haunted house didn't really come to anything yeah so i also did one that is how a house became haunted hmm. i did the la Lori mansion mm. in new orleans okay so so this is an insanely fucked up story okay because what i know about this one is that american horror story coven the third season had uh madame la Lori as kathy one of the bates. characters kathy bates who's Amazing. Love her One so much. One of the best actresses in the world. Just fucking amazing. I know. All the way back to Misery, which wasn't like her first or anything, but it's, you know, it yeah. was back in the 80s, she I won, I think she won an Oscar for that, for Misery. It was um, phenomenal. Amazing. Which, I will say, Misery... God, I'm surprised we didn't do any Stephen King anything for Halloween. Halloween. Shit, because we can misery... just do a Stephen King episode. It's on our list. We need to. Yeah. Stephen King-inspired murders. You yeah. know they're there. Oh, yeah. But Misery is one of those that the book... Because I read the book... I saw the movie years and years and years ago. And I read the book just uh, maybe five years ago or so. Yeah. And it's one that... It's a slow read. It's not... That's Stephen King, man. I mean, Come yeah. On. 
Like, the book is, I mean, I love them, but it's generally, like, a slow pace until shit starts happening. It's like, you can't put it down because everything's happening. But just how the book is, the movie could have been shit. But the movie was so good. It was so good. And Kathy Bates is a huge part of that. Yep. Totally. Um, Totally. God, because the... Oh, horrifying. And then fucking she'll do that and then fucking switches into Titanic where she's Molly Brown. Fucking uh, love her in that role. The nice rich lady. Like, because that was the first role I ever saw her in was Um, in Titanic. That may have been one of my first as well. And she, to me... As far as acting goes, the the standout actress in the film. She's not a main character. She's definitely a supporting one, but she is the fucking queen. Every scene she's in, she steals. True. And then when I found out she was... Because I think... Yeah, because American Horror Story Season 3 was the first one she was in. When I found that, I was fucking floored. I was like, oh shit, they got Kathy Bates. And every mm-hmm. season she's been in... She's been amazing. She's and been this incredible. Season, she's smoking. Like her hair. Oh, her hair. Like, she's the way she is. Like, she's amazing. Fucking love Kathy Bates. So uh How do we get into Kathy Bates from La Lorie. Ah, yes. So if you want to picture her, go for it. Whatever you want to do, do it. while picture you listen it to the story. The sources I used, there are a shit ton out there, by the way. Uh so I just picked a few. Wikipedia, Ghost City Tours. Prairie Ghosts, and I watched a documentary on YouTube from female serial killers, Delphine LaLaurie documentary. Okay. Which, again, like, literally, there was so much information out there. Oh, yeah. Just the backstory. The LaLaurie mansion brings just so much allure and so much draw from visitors to New Orleans. It's one of the things that people want to visit it. The haunted history of this mansion is one of New Orleans' best known ghost ghost tales um for more than 150 years and through several generations the house has been considered to be the most haunted and most frightening on the french in the french quarter Mm. people even you know there were certain times they would not walk on the same side of the street as this house they some people would avoid the block completely they just didn't want to have anything to do with this mansion did Mm. not want to be near it did not want to be near that lore and the haunted uh, story of the LaLaurie Mansion really recounts the brutal um, excess of slavery in a very horrifying and gruesome manner and what is known as one of the city's most horrific crimes. Oh. The origin of the LaLaurie Mansion dates back to 1832 when Dr. Louis LaLaurie and his wife, Delphine, moved from France into this Creole mansion. Mm-hmm. He was a surgeon... And she was from a wealthy French family, and they became, like, very renowned for all their social affairs, and they, like, represented all their their wealth and their prominence. Mm-hmm. They had people yeah. for dinners. Like, Madame Laurie became known as the most influential French Creole woman in the city. Yeah. She handled all the family's business affairs, and she had fantastic style just everyone looked up to her she was this amazing really rich woman she was the everyone was marie antoinette of new orleans essentially um her daughters were among the finest dressed in new orleans just everything and so for those who were lucky enough to attend these social events at 1140 royal street because of course they lived on royal street of course they did 
They were amazed at what they found there. Yeah. This was a three-story mansion. The exterior is rather plain. If you've seen it, it's simple, three stories, gray on the exterior. It's got some ironwork on the outside, but it's when you walk in and the interior is just lavish for absolutely anyone's standards. God, I want to go. I do, I want to go to New Orleans in general, but when I go, I want to go here. Same. We need to do a like a weekend go to New Orleans. So the house is actually privately owned at the moment, so you oh. can't visit it, but you can go on the outside, and they have ghost tours that go by it, but you can't necessarily oh. go inside. And they've completely renovated it, so oh. it's like luxurious and modern. Yeah, because it but used it's still to be there. one that you can tour on the inside, right? Apparently, Nicolas Cage owned it for a good bit of time there. He bought it in 2007 and oh. then um, sold it or just, just... Anyway, this house has gone through many hands. Yeah. Um, but so when you walk in inside, this, this house was clearly made for grand events and all these different occasions. There were mahogany doors that were hand-carved with flowers and human faces. Jesus. Very bright parlor. Well, if you think it like cherubs and stuff. I mean, yeah, like, no, I know, but that's... Fuck, I'm... Hand card mahogany detailed, door. Detailed. Um, there they would have like hundreds of candles lit, giant chandeliers, guests would dine on European China, dance um on you know the big ballroom type floors, rest on oriental fabrics, and just fucking absolutely everything you could think of extravagance being in eighteen thirty two. Like in the yeah. 1830s. Madame LaLaurie was also considered one of the most intelligent and beautiful women in the city. So not only was she rich and like phenomenal, she was beautiful and smart. Huh. And um, people just couldn't stop talking about her. Yeah. The guests in her home were pampered as their hostess, you know, bustled around the house. So she's like seeing celebrity. Yep. She's celebrity style. However... There was a side to Madame LaLaurie that friends and admirers were not privy to. Like, they saw one side of her, and she had a dark side. Okay. And so beneath all this, like, delicate and refined exterior was this cruel, cold-blooded, and possibly insane woman that only some suspected. Oh. And others knew was a fact. Oh. So the finery of the LaLaurie house was attended to by dozens of slaves. Because, Mm. again, this is 1830s. Slavery is... Alive and well in the South. Very alive and well in the South. Like, it is it is the way of life, unfortunately. And Madame LaLaurie was brutally cruel to them. She kept her cook chained to the fireplace in the kitchen. Jesus. Um, you know, where all these scrumptious dinners were being made. Mm-hmm. And many others were treated much worse than, than this. Although I just can't imagine, like, oh, I'm yeah. chaining you in the kitchen because this is where you need to be. You need to cook. Obviously, we do have to remember that during this time, slaves were not regarded as being human. That's true. I mean, I, I mean that's yeah. that's not an excuse, but they were simply yeah. seen as property, and many slave owners even thought of them as being lower than animals. God. Um, it just... It makes me so sick to think I about can't fathom the fact that our fucking country was like this. Yeah. 150 years ago. I mean, it's not that long ago. No. I just can't imagine seeing another person and not seeing them as a person. Like that. Yeah. Well, and I bring that up only to say, like, obviously it's no excuse. Slaves were treated terribly. But Madame LaLaurie, her mistreatment took it even a step further to where she was just beyond cruel to them. 
So it was her neighbors on Royal Street who first began to suspect that something was not really quite right at the mansion. And there were all these whispered conversations about how her slaves seemed to come and go quite often. Uh, Parlor maids would be replaced with no explanation. Stable boy would suddenly disappear and no one would ever see him again. And then one day, a neighbor was just climbing her own stairs at her house next door. um, Or like on the street or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she heard a scream. And she sees Madame LaLaurie chasing a little girl, one of her younger slaves. It was, I believe, her personal attendant. And she's got a whip. So she's chasing her with a whip. She pursued the girl onto the roof where the girl jumped to her death. Jesus. And the neighbor later saw the small slave girl buried in a, a shallow grave beneath some of the cypress trees in the yard. Jesus. And apparently... The girl had been brushing Madame LaLaurie's hair and accidentally pulled it. And this this sent her me? into a rage. Are you fucking kidding me? No. For this incident, Madame LaLaurie was taken to court, but because of her prominent status, um, she was pretty much just given a slap on the wrist and a $300 fine. Yeah. There was a law, however, that prohibited cruel treatment of slaves. And so the authorities who investigated the neighbor's claim and this whole incident that happened, they made her, they impounded all of the slaves and sold them at auction. However, Madame LaLaurie coaxed some of her relatives into buying the slaves and they just gave them back to her. Oh my God. They sold them back to her in secret. Yeah. It's not gave. They sold. So just really, really cruel treatment that's going on in this house. Yeah. Um, also, again, they impounded and sold them. Yeah, even the law enforcement are treating these people like animals. Like, like when you yeah, no one has their back. Like when you take you know an animal out of an abusive home and you take it to the into the animal shelter to be like God. I I know fucking hate history sometimes. Oh, uh, yeah, no, same. I mean, most of the time, most, most of, of time history I... is fucking awful. Yes. More often than not, fucking awful. And the history we're creating, fucking awful, too. Yeah. It, but it is important that slowly we are getting better. and Slowly, hopefully, I'm telling surely. y'all, this comes out October 30th. Election day is November 6th. Go Fucking vote, do your part to make vote. history a little less worse. Make history something we're... Learning it years from now. Make history something we're proud to talk about, not ashamed. Yeah. So, well, in April of 1834, all of these doubts that some of the community was having about Madame Lauderie, they were realized. Oh. A really bad fire broke out in the Lauderie kitchen. And legend has it that it was set by the cook who just could not endure any more of Madame Lauderie's torture. Mm -hmm. But regardless of how it started, this fire just swept through the house. Oh. After the blaze was put out, the firefighters discovered a horrible sight. Oh. They heard screams and cries coming from behind a barred door that was bolted and locked on the outside. Jesus. When they got the door open, these seasoned firemen who are used to seeing death and destruction and terrible things just began vomiting from the stench of death. It was so strong. Oh, my God. In the room, they found more than a dozen slaves chained to the wall in a horrible state. They were both male and female. Some were strapped to makeshift operating tables. Some were confined in cages made for dogs. Holy shit. There were human body parts scattered around, 
heads, human organs, placed haphazardly in different buckets around the room. Oh my god. Um, these like grisly souvenirs stacked on shelves and next to all of this there's a collection of whips and paddles and there were even some slaves bodies that were buried under the floorboards of the room oh my god according to the newspaper the new orleans bee all the victims were naked a lot of the victims were dead those were the lucky ones oh a lot of them were still alive like just wishing they were dead some of the women had their stomachs sliced open, their insides wrapped around their waists. Oh! One woman had her mouth stuffed with um, animal excrement, and then her lips were sewn shut. What the fuck? Men were in even more horrendous states. Uh, fingernails had been ripped off, eyes poked out, private parts sliced away. One man was hanging in shackles with a stick protruding from a hole that had been drilled into the top of his head. What the fuck? That had been used to stir his brains. Oh my god. And he's alive. Uh, it didn't say. Okay. It didn't say. We're gonna hope for his sake he wasn't. Yeah. These tortures had obviously been administered to not bring quick death. Yeah. Uh, mouths pinned shut. Hands had been sewn into various parts of the body. <sighs> um, like I said, many of them were dead for quite some time. Others were unconscious. Some cried in pain begging to be killed because they were miserable. Firefighters fled the scene. They, um... They didn't save them? Well, doctors were summoned from a nearby hospital to come in. Okay. And it was uncertain just how many slaves were found in Madame Laurie's torture chamber. Most of them were dead. There was a woman who was still clinging to life, whose arms and legs had been removed, and then another who'd been forced into a tiny cage and all of her uh, limbs had been broken so she would fit oh into it. Oh my god. Um, needless to say, these were the most hideous things to ever occur in the city and word soon spread. Yeah. So it was it was believed that Madame Lillerie alone was responsible, that her husband turned a blind eye, like maybe he knew about it, uh, but he didn't help her. What the fuck? There was a mob that ended up gathering outside the house, calling for vengeance. Just like, how could you do this? Like, everyone was horrified, and they're carrying hanging ropes. And then suddenly, like, as the mob's approaching the house, a carriage rolled out of the gates through the crowd and disappeared. So Madame Lollerie and her family were never seen again. Rumors circulated of, you know, where they may have gone. Some said they ran away back to Paris, France. Others claimed they lived in the forest along the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain. Okay. Other rumors claimed that the family vanished into one of the small towns around New Orleans, uh, where, like, some friends and relatives sheltered them away from harm. Yeah. You know, it just, we don't know what happened to her. There's no record of her life. I can't imagine this rich, evil lady who's so used to all this grandeur living in a living in the forest or living in a small town outside not i'm thinking she went back to paris i'm thinking she went back to paris and i think the majority of the evidence is that she did board like a ship back to france yeah so as far as her motivation behind why she did this it's still pretty unclear and unknown there are a couple of theories one is that since she, her husband was a surgeon, the two of them were doing their own scientific research. And if you, if you think back to this time in the, in the 1830s, the knowledge of anatomy was very limited. Yeah. And so there were people who would be 
grave diggers and like get bodies to just cut into them. Yeah. And unfortunately, to a lot of people, slaves were seen as nothing, so they were essentially lab rats. But still, the you know learning how the body worked was fascinating. But practicing this, practicing this in a live human, just goes way beyond curiosity. Fucking horrifying. It's fucking horrifying. So that's one theory. Another theory stems from some evidence that was left behind that um, you know, like whips, chains, handcuffs, that she was a sadist. And a sadist is someone who derives pleasure from inflicting pain to another individual, whether that's physical, emotional, or sexual pain. So that's theory number two. And lastly, there's a theory that states that these actions she was taking were maybe aimed at trying to solve a crime. So prior to the fire at the LaLaurie mansion, there had been a rebellion on one of her family's plantations in St. Bernard. And at this rebellion, LaLaurie's mother was killed. So the theory goes that LaLaurie was interrogating her slaves under duress, involving a lot of torture, trying to find information. Because these slaves, I mean, I'm sure they shared them within the family. Some maybe have been at that plantation. And so she's just going about this cruel criminal investigation, trying to figure out what happened to her mom. Whatever happened to the Lullery family, like I said, there's no record and therefore there's there was no legal action ever taken against her and she was never seen in New Orleans again. God, okay. However, oh. this could not be said of her victims. There were tons of stories of ghosts and haunting at 1140 Royal Street. And oh. these stories started essentially... Right after LaLaurie fled the premises. So after they left, the house was vandalized by the mob. And after the mob stayed there for a very brief occupancy, the house remained vacant for many years. And it fell into a state of ruin and decay. It's interesting that they didn't tear it down. Yeah, but it's it's 1830s. I don't think they did that. I guess. Like, I don't, I don't think the let's demolish the house was as prevalent as it is today that's fair okay so the place is empty and many people claim to hear screams of agony coming from the empty house at night they saw apparitions of slaves walking about on the balconies and in the yards and some stories even claimed that some of the homeless people who'd gone into the house for shelter never came back out oh the house was put on the market in 1837 and it was purchased by this guy who only owned it for three months oh he Somewhere. was <laughs> he was plagued by strange noises, cries, groans, um, and he abandoned it pretty quickly. He tried leasing the rooms for a short time, but tenants only stayed for a few days at most. And this guy just he just gave up and abandoned the house. Yeah. He was like, I'm not doing this. After the Civil War, Reconstruction turned this house into a high school for oh. girls of the lower district. Okay. Uh, however, in 1874, the White League, which I don't know exactly what that is, but I think it's pretty self-explanatory, yeah. forced the black children out of the school. A short time after that, a segregationist school board changed things completely and turned it into a school for black children. Fuck these racist-ass old people. Well, and this is like deep fucking south i mean new orleans is a deep south so you can go granted i do think that today it is much better i think so too granted i am not a person of color so i can't speak to personal experience i can't anyway. either and 
But and I've never been there, so I yeah. don't. I can't even tell you what the experience of the but city is. Fuck. I sometimes I will read. I will dive into history of these lynchings and the race riots and just like the Tulsa race riot, for example. We didn't learn about that in school. Yeah. That was. No. And you read about it now and you dive in and you're like, that was the first time that bombs, aerial bombs were dropped on an American city. Really? The Tulsa race riot? Yeah. So for those of y'all that don't know, the Tulsa race riot happened in um, 1921 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a black man was like accused of raping a white woman in, I believe, in an elevator. Falsely accused. He yeah, didn't do he it. He didn't do this. Um, but the white people in the town became a mob. And this mob of angry, racist white people descended on Greenwood, which was a neighborhood of Tulsa. Yeah. And at the time, it was considered like the Black Wall Street. It was the wealthiest black community in the United States. Oh, my God. In Tulsa. In Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they burned to the ground. They murdered people in the streets. They lynched hundreds of people. They went to the Tulsa airport, got planes, and were dropping bombs on this part of the city. No. And it is just fucking insane that this is something we don't learn about. And... I feel like I learned a little bit about it, but not to that degree. And it was in AP history. Yeah. So... It was not just my regular history class in fucking Oklahoma. At the time... When things had settled, because it was considered like a horrible thing, people still, some people, I guess, still had consciences in the 20s, I guess. But at the time, the deaths that were reported were 36. 36 deaths were reported. Pretty sure there's a whole hell of a lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, estimates go from the hundreds up to 3,000 oh people my God. just murdered because they're black. <sighs> And it's the fucking 20s. And that happened not even 100 years ago. Yeah. And you look at what pisses me off so much is, first off, when people are like, racism doesn't exist anymore. Martin Luther King happened. One, you're a fucking idiot and I can't stand you. And you're clearly not paying attention to anything. Anything. Or, Or even when people take the stance of like, well, yeah, racism's around, but like, it's so much better. Like in the sixties, they couldn't even go to the same schools. And it's like, do you yeah, know what you're saying? Obviously, this is coming from a white privileged obviously. person. But do you know what you're? You're there are literally people that are fifty that grew up remembering that that lived that that and, was their school. And you're saying, oh, this doesn't matter anymore. And yeah, desegregation laws happened. The civil rights movement happened and was huge. Racism and institutional racism is still so alive and well today. Yeah. It's fucking mind-blowing. I know it is. It really is. And there are people that are like, racism doesn't happen. Or there are people that'll be like, well, what about racism against white people? I can't, no. I'm sorry, that doesn't exist. In In America, there is not racism against white people. You have to have systematic power. Like, could you discriminate against white people because they're white? Yes. Yes, you can. 
that's not racism. Yeah. Because you don't have that institutional power of it. Because if a white person has a difficult time getting a loan at this one bank, they can go to a thousand others. Yeah. Whereas a person of color can go to any bank and is less likely to get a loan because of their color of their skin. They have a better credit score, better credit history, less likely to get a loan. A person with a name that sounds Hispanic or sounds black is less likely to get a job, even if they're perfectly qualified, no criminal history, than a white person or a white-sounding name with a criminal history and a shittier resume. And it it's just mind-blowing that people yeah. want to turn a blind eye. Sorry, this is something I could go on for hours. No, and it's something that just plagues this country, and it drives me crazy that people think this doesn't exist. They're just turning a blind eye. They're just yeah. doing... They're just playing ignorance is bliss. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look... Just because you don't have to deal with this in your daily life doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Well, and people like to act like, well, Martin Luther King, or why can't uh, protesters say be like Martin Luther King? And don't realize, literally, if you were you in the 60s, you would have been the kind of person who fucking hated Martin Luther King Jr. You would have wanted to kill him. You would have wanted him to die, to get off and stop stop marching on Washington start ma- stop marching on Selma stop these bus boycotts stop all of this because you fucking hate him because you're racist trash yeah Ugh. well this obviously my case deals very very much with racism and that's the root of this case and yeah. the and that's something I don't want to overshadow in this episode because it's huge and it's yeah. the whole part of this crime that makes it so gruesome times a mm-hmm. billion because the things that were done were horrible and gruesome and the fact that it was done to people who were in slavery who were being imprisoned in slavery mm-hmm. and then imprisoned in the LaLaurie mansion like it just yeah. it is such a hatred that I can't even really put words to it yeah. it's it's this despicable disgusting thing it's yeah and the school that was made for black children did only last for a year after that in 1882 the mansion became a center for new orleans society when an english teacher took it over and turned it into a conservatory of music and fashionable dancing so it was it was still a school just a music and dance school all right all went well. This teacher was very well known, attracted students, and however, things came to a terrible conclusion. A local newspaper apparently pointed out an accusation against this teacher, or it claimed that uh, it, he was being inappropriate with female students. This was just God. before a grand social event was to happen at the school, and students and the guests like shunned the place, and it closed the next day. Yeah, good. Yeah, very next day. Uh, Hope that fucking teacher went to jail. I also wish uh, things nowadays would be that quick to respond. I know. One of the things that just fucking breaks me is when you see stories about how a female teacher uh, has sex with a younger male student Mm -hmm. who's a fucking child. And you fucking read the comments. And you never read the comments. I know you're never supposed to because that's when the absolute garbage of humanity comes out. But, and you'll see all these men that are like, oh, I wish my teacher did that to me. Or I got a lucky kid. And I'm like, that child was raped. And you're joking and laughing and thinking this is fun. You're a bad person. Well, and there there are just some things in this world that are not humorous. 
and should never be looked at no. in that way. And I, I have a big problem with comedians or people who are like, anything should be a joke. No, there are some things that are not, that, that it's not okay. And it's not that like, well, you should censor yourself. It's just that that, from a human perspective, that's not okay. Yeah. How, the fact that you can get enjoyment and find that funny is deeply, deeply disturbing. It is. And there are, and and I'm guilty of laughing at some things that I later look back and I'm like, I feel horrible. Yeah. For laughing in that moment. Absolutely. All of us are. All of us are. That is unfortunately another human characteristic that sometimes we get wrapped up in a moment and find something funny that Mm -hmm. later we're like, that's not funny and I didn't think it was, but I was in a humorous moment. Yeah. And so that's, you know, how I was reacting to it. But yeah, no, there are very much things that should be off limits to humor. Yeah. So, back to the Delorean Mansion. Yeah. After the school that the school closed, this guy um, lived in the home, Jules Vignet. He lived there, but was found dead in a tattered cot in the mansion. Oh shit! Apparently, he lived in filth, but. He hid away in all of the surrounding rooms in the home antiques and treasure. And a bag containing fuck? several hundred dollars was found near his body. And there was another search that found several thousand dollars hidden in the mattress. So, of course, there's all these rumors of this lost treasure in the home. But there were very few people who dared go into it because the house was haunted and people kept dying in it and bad things kept happening. Uh, fair. So, the house was abandoned again until the 1890s. And oh my god, we're only to the 1890s? Yeah, there was so much that happened to this house in such a short period of time. Jesus. So in 1890, there's a lot of immigration happening in America, and many Italians came to New Orleans. Mm. And there were some people who quickly bought up all of the old and abandoned buildings, and they converted them into cheap housing for like the new waves of all these yeah, Italians Yeah, like in. tenement housing, yeah. Yeah. The LaLaurie Mansion became one of these homes, and... Um, it just blows my mind that this was a house that was big enough to become multiple schools, that was big enough to become an apartment building, basically. Jesus. So, super side note, and jumping far in the future, but I looked it up on Zillow, it's actually only worth 2.3 mil. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's like, I think, seven bedrooms. Which still, for a tenant I mean, that's house, huge. Like, it's a and huge I, house. I say, huh, $2.2 million is fucking unfathomable amount of money. But I'm you imagining this. You can buy a fucking condo here in Austin. A condo for a mill. Yeah. There are, there are three bedroom apartments, or, well, condos, that $2.2 million is not going to be enough. Nope. But, like, so even though the rent was low in the LaLaurie mansion... It still wasn't enough for a lot of people who wanted to live there. During the time when the mansion was an apartment house, there were all of these strange events that happened. Uh, one of them was an encounter between an occupant and a naked man in chains who attacked what him. What? It was a ghost. Oh. Oh. It was a ghost okay. of one of the slaves. Because apparently he abruptly vanished in the middle of the attack. Okay. Others claim to have animals butchered in the house. Children were attacked by a phantom with a whip. Strange figures appeared wrapped in shrouds. A young mother was terrified to find a woman in an elegant 
evening clothes of bending over her sleeping infant in the crib. What the fuck? And of course, the ever-present screams, groans, and cries that would reverberate throughout the house. That's fucking creepy. Yeah. So it was never easy to keep tenants in this in this house, uh, and yeah. the mansion ended up being deserted again because of all the things that were said about it. Like word yeah. went around. Later, it became a bar, and then a furniture store, and what? like these, the bar was called the Haunted Saloon. It didn't oh. stay very long. The owner like knew about all the haunted history, and he would keep record of all the strange things that would happen to him and patrons. Yeah. The furniture store didn't last long because the owner kept coming back to the store and all his furniture was destroyed. And, like, there was one night he even stayed there sitting up with his gun and he still woke up in the morning and all the furniture was destroyed even though no one ever came in and out. Oh. So now it it's the house is privately owned. It's been renovated and restored. The pictures of the interior are really weird because obviously it's not 1830s. It's like super luxe mod glam is what I would describe it as. Fair. And if you say if the house is still haunted, people say yes. Uh, apparently when it was being remodeled, there was a hasty graveyard found in the backyard uh, beneath the wooden floor. There were all these skeletons found and people guessed that it was from Madame LaLaurie. Some of yeah. her slaves that had gone missing or disappeared, yeah. they were under there. Um, so it was like her private graveyard for mm. these slaves. It makes you wonder how many victims she actually had. Yeah, is there any count? So, when it comes to the factual accuracies of this case. Yeah. As it turns out, the story has been grossly exaggerated over time. But basically, so yes, Madame LaLaurie did mistreat her slaves. She was extremely cruel to them. But unfortunately, that was not uncharacteristic of the time. Mm -hmm. She was essentially just a regular um, French Creole woman in New Orleans in the 1830s, treating her slaves like absolute garbage. Was she still like this rich, powerful... Yes, yes. That is all like very true. true. What about her being like run out of town and... Yes. I mean, she was still run out of the town. Like she still left the town at least. And no one really knows where she went. Um, When it comes to the extreme torture of her slaves, that is exaggerated. There wasn't necessarily a torture room... Um, however, she was extremely cruel to them. And I do yeah. believe the story of her whipping the young girl is true. Okay. Um, but like, okay. So I was, I was worried you were going to say it's like basically all fabric. No, it's, it's mostly true and embellished. It's, it's embellished yeah. a lot in the very gory, grim details of it. Yeah. But essentially, you know, whether, regardless of what is true and what is not, this tale is still very alive in the city of New Orleans and the mansion is a key place to visit if you're wanting like a haunting good time when you're in New Orleans for ghost stories. And... I mean, I, then when I go to New Orleans, I'm going to go see this mansion. No, I really want to see it. And this is a story that a lot of people have heard of. Yeah. It's very well known. It's very much folklore. And as you know, folklore always has a bit of embellishment in it. It does. And I'm very glad to know that the very heinous parts of the story were just created by a writer. Um, There were a couple of books written 
and that's what created some of this heinous detail but the root of the story and her cruelty to her slaves is 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 still true yeah um but yeah so that is the story of madame la lorie and the haunted la lorie mansion um fucking daphine yeah she crazy she She crazy racist asshole bitch she crazy, she privileged, she's beautiful, she's talk of the town, the good and the bad. Yeah. All right. Uh, postmortem time? I believe so. Okay. What? You go first. I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I think that aside from portions of my story being not necessarily true, I think the level of detail to mine, I think I win. Oh, yeah. No, I think you won. <laughs> Yours scared the shit out of me. It's mine mine scares the shit out of me thinking about that being reality, but mine is horrifying, and the fact that he fucking murdered his siblings, his parents in this house is fucking nightmare. Yours, the fact that her torture of these people is a little bit normalized because well that's how everyone treated slaves yeah honestly makes yours worse no it does i, I <sighs> the the fact that so many of the things that i said even though in this story they were embellishments through history that kind of shit happened yeah the thing and is like, that's what makes it heartbreaking and sickening yeah. and the fact that that might not have happened at the La Lori Mansion does not does mean, not it, did mean not it didn't happen exactly at a hundred other mansions in the South. Yeah. So no, I absolutely think you won this one. So this one was, it was interesting, and like I said, there is a lot of information out there, and because of the fabrication and the um, embellishments in the story, you can find a lot of different information. Yeah, but that's essentially. Fair. If you go to the Ghost City Tours, I think I think it's literally ghostcitytours.com. Mm-hmm. You can look up New Orleans and it has a little bit more of the factual information in the case and just about mm-hmm. like, yes, Madame LaLaurie did live there, her husband was a surgeon, they had slaves, they treated him like shit, like yeah. and and we don't really know what happened to her. God. Most most accounts say she moved back to France, which would make the most sense. Yeah. So God. but Well, I mean, fuck for a Halloween episode, I think we did I really think that well. was pretty spooky. Yeah. Spooky does not cover it, but no. yeah, that was, um... Well, and I know, horrifying. I know you don't believe in ghosts, and I, I, there are times I do and there are times I don't, hmm. because sometimes when you think you hear something, when you think something's happening, it's a thought that crosses your mind that it's like, oh, there could be spirits here, and it's... I mean, to go, like, a different angle, like, I do believe that there are, quote-unquote, like, angels and, like, that people can mm-hmm. send you signs. And to be, I don't know, the way I look at it, people sending you signs, whether it's good or bad, it's kind of like the angel versus the ghost. And ghosts seem to get the bad rap for being, like, the yeah. negative. But essentially, to me, in my head, I think of it as the same, the same action. It's just, like, when it's positive... Or like a sign, we're like, oh yeah, that's that's so and so. Give me a sign. Yeah. But when it's bad and it's like ghost, quote unquote, we're like, yeah. oh, that's not real. So that's the way I look at it. 
I guess. And I, when it comes to like, I don't know, like ghosts be like, like, no, yeah. I don't believe in I that. I mean, I also don't believe in angels either. Like, or any of the, I very much in, in my mind, once you die, you die. That's, that's it. You're dead. And you live on through other people's memory, which is super important and very powerful. But you're not floating around in heaven or hell or another dimension or any of that. Yeah. But I definitely think there are things that happen that I can't explain. There are very much things that we can't so explain. I'm by no means the smartest man in the world. So, who knows? But... Personally, I don't believe in the ghosts and shit. Um, yeah. But, ugh, this, uh, this episode is creepy as fuck. It is. I will say one last thing, and I just want to say this, and then we can close out. I, I do feel like people have energy, and that that energy can last past your lifetime, and that it affects things around you. And, I mean, we're all, if you think about it, we're all created of atoms. Literally everything in this world mm-hmm. is created of atoms. And so portions of someone's physical being being around in some way if we want to call it spirit or whatever Mm. after they're gone when you think of it in a scientific level i don't think that's too far of a stretch of imagination well and like again at a scientific atomic level you can't energy can't be created or destroyed it goes somewhere exactly like so yeah so that's that's the way i look at it but um anyway Thank you guys so much. Yes. Hope you enjoyed this Halloween episode. It was fun for it to be our little Yeah, it was a fun special. We haven't done I know. Um, We haven't done a special since 4th of July. I mean, what other holiday would we have done? Labor Day special. We can do whatever special we want. Union murders. Who knows? Honestly, there's... We Uh, could probably probably fall into that hole. Uh, Yeah, that'd be (laughs) a big one. That'd be a big Um, one. But no, I really enjoy these holiday specials. I think we have um, a winter holiday one uh, in the works. Yes. One that uh, probably not going to release on Christmas. Probably try to try to match it in between Hanukkah, Christmas, winter solstice. All of the all of the fuck ton of holidays that happen in the winter, y'all. Yep. So <laughs> holiday throw season. one in there. So, but I so if y'all want to see that, if y'all like the idea of holiday episodes when this happens let us know um if you enjoyed this episode make sure to leave us five stars on itunes it helps us get up in the rankings yes which helps more people like you find us i know so so many of our listeners which we can't really tell who listens to it but just judging by the cities that we see there are so many people and we've talked to a couple fans that just found us yeah, and y'all, we can tell when y'all are telling your friends because a city will pop up in our analytics and then all of a sudden it, it starts to grow. And that is so cool to see the podcast like organically, like our community it's organically insane. growing. They're so, like, oh, we got thank three y'all. listens in Johannesburg, South Africa. Check back the next day. We got 30 listens in Johannesburg. Also, be sure to follow us on uh, Twitter, and we're on Instagram, like us on Facebook. We're trying to be more active, and we would love to chat with you guys yes. and just get involved. Yeah. We want to build our blood and wine community. Absolutely. All right. 
I love you guys so much. Yes. Um, these margaritas were really strong. They were so quite I'm gonna strong. Finish mine and honestly think about the La Laurie Mansion. I know. <laughs> like and going. I'm gonna to have New to Orleans. sit for a minute and just think about yeah that story. Yeah. So, so all right. Well, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. XOXO. Blood and wine signing off. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.